How many here do not know Pastor Ned? We have to introduce yourself. Pastor Ned is the presiding elder of an association of churches, the Alliance of Renewal Churches. Is that right? Four. Churches. There's a lot of arcs here in the Twin Cities. We're for the renewal, not of it. Pastor Ned, uh, pastor church here and in Spooner over the years. And uh, I, think, I think we've known your family for the longest, probably her. My wife, the first time she met Ned, said, oh, you're Sue Ruby's wife. Um, Ned also gathers here Tuesdays, um, prays with the pastors, and has been working with Pastor Jim on Mission St. Paul along with a couple other pastors. But let's just extend your hand. Um, Father, for this season, for this moment, you have placed this shepherd in this church to equip us for the work of the ministry, according to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Father, you know what's ahead of us. You know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know what's going to happen this afternoon. You know what you're going to do with each one of us as witnesses, ambassadors, disciples of yours. And so we pray that you would use him to equip us, to train us, to draw us to you. Holy Spirit, I pray for words of knowledge, words of wisdom as he speaks, that the word would penetrate deep into our hearts, that, Lord, we'd be transformed and changed, something only you can do by your spirit. So, Father, we receive this gift, and we ask for wide spaces today, Lord, that he'd be able to do your ministry, and that we'd leave this place thoroughly equipped for all good things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Bethel Christian Fellowship. I'm glad to be back with you. It's, I think it's been a long time since I've been here, uh, at least in this mode, but I'm glad to be back with you on October 30th, 2011. I, I'm entitled this talk, The Power of One. And I don't know how many of you ever saw this movie. This is like a 20-year-old movie, The Power of One, about from South Africa. Anyone see it? A couple, yeah. Um, well, this talk has nothing to do with that movie. I just like the title. Uh, um, I love the title. I love the title because it is, it's so much about who God is and consequently who we are as reflections of who God is. So that's what I want to get after with you this morning. And I have this thing. I should keep it out, huh? Yep, that's wrong. Stay. Um, what did I do? I did go the other way. There we go. He did say hit the big one. I hit the little one. So, um, You're talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, you are on number... Are you going in order? You are. Okay. So number seven. So I, so I, I have a quiz for you. And... Um, First of all, I want you to think about the Ten Commandments as a fence line. I want want you to think about this whole sanctuary. And I want you to to put the Ten Commandments in equal distance all around this sanctuary. And, And the reality is, and what I want you to think about, is that God is in the middle of this sanctuary. And all out here is a fence line. And the fence line basically is don't go past the fence. The commandments are there to basically say, "Eh, go back into the middle. Go back into the middle where God dwells. Don't live on the fence line. Okay, so so tell me the commandments in order. Number one, let's, let's abbreviate them. What's the first commandment? No other gods, right? I'm it. There's no other gods. There really is no other God. 
I'm it. Don't act like there is another God. I'm it. That's the commandment. Don't think about another God. Number two, no idols. You can't make anything that's going to somehow represent God. I'm it. You have to relate to me. I'm a person. You can't make an idol. Can't do it. Number three. The Lord's name in vain. I would say it this way. Don't misrepresent me. That would take care of most Christian TV, I think. Um, very frankly, uh, I think there's a massive... I, I won't go into that. But don't misrepresent me. Number four. Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. Don't forget. Number five. Honor your parents, your father and mother. Um... It'll go well with you. If you don't, it won't go well with you, by the way. Number six, no murder, killing. Number seven, no adultery. Number eight, no stealing. Number nine, no lying. Number ten, no coveting. That's the one that gets all of us immediately, doesn't it? Because that one gets, as Paul says in Romans 7, that, that's, that one gets to the heart, that internal motivation, but we're not talking about that. Jim gave me the easiest one. <laughs> I said, thank you very much, um, adultery. Um, well, you know, I'm glad to be speaking on this today. There's, if you think about this fence line, though, there's a lot of no's. No, 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 no. Remember, honor, no, no, no. You can't go past the fence line. The fence line isn't there, though, to, to somehow be a boundary that you go live on. You go live in the center. You know, you know, one of the most conflicting chapters of Scripture to me in the whole Bible is Exodus 19. Here's what God says to Moses when he gets up to the mountain. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself that you would be to me a treasured possession. Does that sound good? That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Like eagle's wings, bringing you to myself as a treasured possession. But then as the chapter progresses, this is what God says to Moses. He says, set limits around the mountain. Do not let the people come near this mountain. Now, I, I want to stop and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened to eagle's wings and treasured possessions? You know, because at that point, then that mountain explodes with fire and thunder. And God says, you cannot come near because you're not holy. Treasured possession, eagle's wings, you can't come near. It's, it's really, it really is the expression of the law that does say you, there is no chance that you can actually relate to the holiness of God. And, and now, and then at the top of that mountain, God gives Moses these commandments that basically do set a limit for the people. And really, it does point ultimately to this Redeemer that we sang about so wonderfully this morning, this one who would come and literally make a way into the core of this exploding mountain and, 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 and where God can say, absolutely, I receive you, I take you in, because this one has come and paid the price. We sang about it all morning. It's, it's huge. It's immense. But 
But these commandments then give us an idea of the holiness of God. So let me bring you into Matthew 19. When Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Basically, the whole tactic of the Pharisees was to somehow catch him in the minutia of the law. Can we divorce for any cause whatsoever? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, one would argue that another cause for divorce is abandonment. Paul, in in Romans 7, talks about abandonment as a cause of divorce. But I'm not going to get into divorce. I want to talk to you about adultery. Really what I want to talk to you about is the power of one. Look at the three emphases here in Matthew 19. Number one, Jesus says to these Pharisees, who a good portion of them, if not all of them, have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. They know them by heart. And and, and Jesus says to them, the first thing he says is, haven't you read Well, they have read. They've read and memorized. But they don't get it. Ever had that experience? You know the Bible, you know the Bible, you you don't know the Bible. You don't know the heart a lot of times. You don't know the heart reality of what God is actually talking about. So Jesus says, haven't you read that? So it's the first thing he says, and, and brings them into the Bible. And then he says this. He talks about the original intent of the Creator. What's the original intent of the Creator? That having made male and female, that they would become one. The original intent of the Creator is one. And we're going to get into it in detail in just a few minutes. But that was the original intent. And and he talks about... Let me me go back. How do I go back? There we go. look, Look at how he talks about it. He says... Have you not read that he who created from the, from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife to become one with her, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, he really isn't only talking about sexual intercourse here, just physical union. He's talking about one at every level. He's talking about a complete unity. This is the original intent of the creator, that there would be that kind of oneness. And then he says, so they're, so they're no longer two but one flesh. In case you didn't get it, the sentence before. He says they're no longer two. They're one. The original intent of the Creator is that a husband and wife would live one life together. Now, it doesn't eradicate their individuality, but that they would understand 
that this was how God meant human beings, how he meant marriage to be, how he meant more than marriage to be, that there would be that one was where the power was going to come from. The power to be creative comes from one. The power to multiply comes from one. Achieving one is what God originally intended. So what therefore God has joined together, if he's joining something together, be careful how you relate to it. Do not, do not mess with what God is actually seeking to make one. Be careful. Be ca- this, is, this is what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. I, I, it, basically, he's saying, I'm not going to answer your question about any reason. I want to talk to you, because they were silly questions. I want to talk to you about, really, what's at the core? What's at the core of life? What's at the core of marriage? So he does this with them. The scriptures, the original intent of the creator in this oneness issue, that God had an original intention and oneness was the original intention of God, not just at marriage, but what we're going to see at every level of life. He's so interested in one coming together. So we're going to talk about just briefly the macro vision, the big vision, and we're going to talk about the micro vision, and we'll be done sometime this morning. I won't go into the afternoon, I promise. Okay. Now, the macro vision, the big vision, honestly, where is that water? There it is. Dan Hackenmuir. The macro vision, you really have to go back to, I would say, before the beginning. Is there a before the beginning? There is. There, There was the beginning of creation, but before creation there was God. What was he doing? Well, we have, we have a few glimpses into it. Jesus' prayer in John 17, in the beginning of the prayer, he says, Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's think about that. Let's think about the glory that Jesus had with the Father before, and the Spirit. You know, it's at Genesis 1, very close to the, the Spirit was brooding over the water. We have all three persons of the Trinity back there. But I had something with you. Jesus remembers a something, a glory that he had with the Father before the world existed. What were they doing? We have a few glimpses. At the end of that prayer, and I'm in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only. He's prayed for his own relationship with the Father, then his disciples. Now he's praying for you and me. By the way, in these verses, he's praying for you, me. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. What does that mean? Glory. Now, glory is a, it's a great word, right? What does it mean? It's good. I know it's good. I want glory, right? I want, I want, I, and I think this is this is the only way I get to that word. Is it is it is it means 
the, the reality of his presence that changes me. The, the glory of God, his presence, his goodness, it's, it's the allness of God that, that presses into my life. That's what Jesus said. That's what we had. We had that before the world existed. And you might, you might, you might say, well, <laughs> you should have just left well enough alone. You know, I mean, with all of that, you, it, because look, look what happened. Look at the insanity that has proceeded out of, out of you and me, out of, out of creation, out of the brokenness of, of sinners rejecting God. But God, it really was the love of God that engendered creation and then engendered all of this. Okay, so he says we had glory, and then he says that they would all be in us so that they may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that they may be one. By the way, isn't that an interesting thought? That, that part of the way of becoming one is we have to experience the glory together. Hmm. Think about that. Think about that. That, that without that presence of God and the glory of God, our capacity to become one is diminished. I must know God with you together so I can become one with you. I've got to know that. It's got to happen. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. What a prayer! That they would become perfectly one so that the world may know. Now, we're going to get to it in just a minute. This oneness is crucial for the mission that we're on. We are on a mission. God did not save you merely so that he could get you to heaven. He saved you because on this earth, He's doing something, and you're a crucial part of it. But you can't do it on your own. You've got to do it with me. You've got to do it with me. Praise the Lord. Now, I had to figure that out with my wife. I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the point. This, Jesus had something with the Father from the beginning before everything else happened, and out of that, out of who he was as the Son and the Father and the Spirit together, out of that, what they shared, creation comes. Now, okay. So, before the beginning, there was glory and oneness and love. Jesus says here, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Okay, what we have, what Jesus is talking about is what he had, had experienced was glory with the Father and oneness with the Father and love with the Father. And now out of that comes mission. Here I am. Jesus comes into the world with the mission of God. But it proceeds from glory and oneness and love. Now let's talk about the beginning. That's before the beginning. Here's the beginning. Then God said, after creating things, he said, let us make man in our image. I'm going to get to adultery here, by the way. But, um, but you, we have to know this. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, plural. Did you catch the plural there? Us, our. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
he created them. Wow. Interesting, huh? Why not just male? Or just female? No. So now he decides two sexes are going to do it. I'm going to create two sexes because that's how I've decided not only to populate the earth, but also to express my image and to do my mission. I need both sexes. I need male and female. Now, and God blessed them and God said to them, and this is called the creation mandate. Very important that we understand this because it's still a mandate. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill. Now, let me stop there a minute. Think of those three verbs. Be fruitful and multiply and fill. Here is now the heart of this creative God who wants to do something on the earth and, and he's going to do it through this male and this female. And, 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 and the point is not to fill the earth only with children. I think we've actually done a pretty good job of that so far. We have seven billion people on the face of the earth. Pretty good job, okay? But, but beyond children, God is so interested on in filling the earth with his image. It's the image of God include, that is resident in human beings, male and female. But now he wants to fill it with his image, which includes his character, which includes his love, which includes his glory, which includes his presence, which includes all the virtues of God. He wants to fill the earth with that. That's still his intent. And of course, of course, the issue then of, the, of what this brother shared this morning about sharing the gospel becomes that becomes the point that we hear that message and we get changed. I was changed 41 years ago because somebody said in a Pentecostal service, I was an atheist, and someone said, Jesus Christ can give you a new start in your life. The only reason I went to that service was to stop this woman from asking me to go to church. She asked me six times. I went down the sixth time to stop her from asking me. That's the only reason I went. I thought. And I hated the service. It was very similar to this morning. <laughs> I hated it. I hated the music. I hated the people. I hated the preacher. I hated, I hated everything about that service. There was not one thing I liked. I couldn't believe it when they walked out in choir robes. It's like, oh, it's just too weird. This is, this is beyond weird. But at the end of that, this guy says, Jesus Christ can give you a new start in your life. And bam! I mean, honestly, I was split in two. Not wanting to be there, not wanting to hear anything. I was good being an atheist. That was terrible. My life was imploding. But I finally hear a message that penetrates the gunk of my life and begins to transform. So, so I am so grateful for the one who paid the debt that I could, I could have a life. But he didn't save me just so I could have a life because he wanted me then to... Actually, after I became a Christian, it was five days after I became a Christian, I asked my wife to marry me. We hadn't had a date yet. That's another story, you know. But I figured, let's get it on. You know, let's do this thing 
Jesus, me, and I got to get. I figured I need to get married. She said no. <laughs> and later she said yes. So yeah, we just we just celebrated 40 years together. We were down in the Grand Canyon, and uh, finally, I, I used to go through it with my kids about when they were playing video games. And, and I said, what, what are you doing? I said, Dad, I'm just playing this awesome game. I said, you can't say awesome about a video game. And, well, you know, awesome moves is good. But looking at the Grand Canyon, you can say awesome, you know. And, I, you know, I, I came back and I said, I finally saw awesome. And it's not a video game. It's the Grand Canyon. Okay. This is, where am I at? This is the... The beginning of what God says here is what I want is the multiplication of my image all over the earth. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. But that is not the image of God. Only we portray the image of God, male and female. Only us. So he wants to multiply that image in families, in marriages and families, in churches, among all of his people everywhere, he wants to multiply the image because he's going for one. So it's the image of God. It's male and female. Now, let me get into this just a bit. Isn't this amazing, male and female? I mean, when's the last time you thought about this? Right now, right? Male and female. Now, by the way, you know, look around. Uh, we're pretty much the same, right? I mean, male and rhinoceros is different, right? Uh, female and gorilla, <laughs> thanks, <laughs> it's pretty different. But male and female, we're, uh, we got pretty much the same of everything, don't we? Eyes, ears, noses. Um, there's interesting differences that are created by God. Uh, I, I find this amazing. That God is the author of sexuality. That God is the author of sexual desire, sexual organs. He's the author of sexual pleasure. You find that just delightful? I do. You should. He meant it to be. He meant something powerful to be taking place between male and female inside a boundary. He meant something to be happening that has glory and oneness and mission all embodied in it. He meant this for good. And we ought to rightly rejoice in what he... But, but think about it. God did this on purpose. It was on purpose. That sexual desire and sexual relationship and sexual intercourse, this, this physical oneness, that was on purpose because it was going to do something that was going to continue. Are you, are you doing okay with this? You feel a little nervous. I mean, you know, when you when you talk about sexuality, it is just it is one of those things you say. I mean, I mean, I mean, 
when was the first time you actually thought about the fact that God created sexual pleasure and that was good? When the first time I thought about that, I thought, really? Would he do that? Yeah, he did that. It was on purpose. There was a design. Even psychologically, there was a design of desire that God put into the male and female for each other. It was on purpose. Now, we just have to get comfortable with that and, and, and understand that this is part of the design of God. He, this is, uh, I just saw this on Facebook the other day. Tom said, Tom said, that's volume one. So, <laughs> now. Okay, it is. It's kind of funny, isn't it? You know. I'm a guy. I, I, I remember the first time Sue and I got into a bit of a, bit of a trouble together, and, and she started to cry. And I thought, I mean, I was outmatched right away, and uh, and I, but but the bad question was, what's wrong? Because she knew that I should know what's wrong, and I honestly did not. I was completely clueless, did not get it. I'm still working on that stuff. It's, uh, but but this is what this is what a lot of men do feel, you know. It's like ay ay ay. What actually is happening in there? On the other hand, a lot of women, they want to know what men are really thinking. Right? Right? I'll tell you what we're thinking. (laughs) Nothing. We're not thinking anything, Ben, right? We're just walking around checking stuff out. <laughs> I remember I remember one of the first times Sue said this to me. We're in this discussion. She said, well, what are you thinking? And I panicked because I really was thinking nothing, you know. And I thought, i got to make something up. Because if I say nothing to her, it's like nothing Nobody thinks nothing. We do. We do. Now, mostly we're the same. We really are. Mostly we're the same. But, we, but there are significant differences. I mean, that really do get down to the core of how we perceive life. Now, I don't want to get into all of this, but... but if you've got to think of a double bell curve. You know what a double bell curve is? That all women are not over here emotional wrecks and all men are not over here these cold-hearted whatevers. Some are on either end, really. But, but there is, we're mostly the same. Let me give you an example. I'll use your own pastor for an example. He's not here. I can do this. <laughs> um, I... 
I have six children. I love all of them. I loved them since they were born, little babies. But you know, I, um, I, there's no big thing in me of, I want to hold the baby. It was like, okay, we'll see you in three months. You know, it was, honestly, that's kind of how I work. I, I love them. I'm committed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for whatever you need to be paid for. But I don't, I'm not, it's not happening for me. Bring a baby in where Jim Olson is. I mean, honestly, he is just, oh, the baby, I want a baby. And I look at that, now, here's what I'm saying. Jim is not less of a man because he loves babies so much. Okay? But most men I know, we're not quite sure what to do with them until they're about four or five months old. And, but there's something. Now, and I see, Jesus it really was more like Jim. He, he, he took children in his arms and blessed them and cared about them. Here's what I'm getting after. We are, we are different. There are significant differences. And if we are going to avoid adultery, we have to figure out oneness in the middle. We have to work at oneness. Now, this is, this is one more picture for you. You see it? That's what it feels like sometimes. It's like, I don't know, did I push the wrong button here? There's way too many buttons to, you know. Okay. If we are going to do the mission of God, if we understand what God had from the beginning, isn't this what Jesus said? He said that from the beginning it was not so. From the beginning the issue was not about divorce. The issue was about how are two going to become one so that we can, that we can f- multiply and fill, and fill the earth. How is that going to happen? It's got to happen on, on multiple levels. The mission of God is at stake in this whole thing. So here's the beginning. It's the image of God in male and female. It's the mission of God to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill. Okay. Here's the microvision. What does it take to get to the power of one? Now, I want to think about it with you on four levels. So number one, we, were, we just were doing this this morning, weren't we? What does it take to get to the power of one with Jesus? What does it take? Think about it. In fact, talk to me. What does it take? What does it take to actually engage this Jesus? Because it all has to do with him. What does it take to become one with him? Huh? Surrender, someone said. Is, isn't this the core of worship? Tom was just talking about it. Weren't you just talking about this? that the core of worship is not exactly what we just did this morning. That's singing in praise. Absolutely wonderful, great, let's do that all the time. It's not the core of worship. The core of worship is Romans 12.1. Brothers, I plead with you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your reasonable service of worship. What? 
What is your reasonable service of worship? The presentation of yourself. Day after day, situation by situation, sometimes moment by moment, that you realize, you know the word I heard the most this morning? was yours, 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 yours. That's a worship word. Because what we're saying is, not mine, not mine, not mine, not mine. It's yours. This all, this all belongs to you. Myself. My marriage. What I do. My ministry. It's all yours. The whole thing is yours. You are the creator. I'm a creature. I'm not a creator. I'm a creature God puts into this world and he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But it's yours. If I don't get to that with great regularity, that kind of worship, that it's not mine, it's yours, then I will foul this thing up, which I do periodically. I foul it up because I start acting like it's mine. I start acting like this this woman is mine. Well, she is and she isn't. We, we belong to each other. I remember one time God spoke to me very plainly. So when I were going through, we've only had one fight in our life, and so we were going through this thing, and that's a joke. <laughs> they're, not, they're not laughing, Tom. <laughs> but, but I remember the Lord speaking to my heart and saying this to me. You be careful how you relate my daughter. Okay. You see, I, I, I said this once to my son. My son was being, I think he was five and he was being disrespectful to my wife. I think it was Greg. It was almost always Greg. But um, I said, Greg, you be careful how you relate to my wife. His eyes got so big. It's like, your wife? Mom? So no, no, no. She was with me before she was with you. Uh, he took it on. It's like, I mean, sometimes we have to hear it from the standpoint of God. What does God think? What does God think about your brothers and sisters? I mean, everyone around you, behind you, in back of you, in front of you, is a son or a daughter of God. Bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Be careful. Be careful how you relate to these people. They're not yours. These people belong to God. And your your call is to love them. Your call is to lay down your life for the people all around you in this church or for your wife, for your husband. That's our call. Because, one, if, if my worship to Jesus diminishes or grows cold, then I will take it out on the people around me. I will act as if I'm God and not God being God. I'll begin to act like God. I'll begin to act like an owner instead of a servant. You're never, you're always a servant to the mission of God, to the call of God in your life. So what does it take to get to the power of one? Well, it's going to take some time. Have you understood this? That if you're going to be one with Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to set aside time 
I, I think a lot of churches call it, you call it a quiet time here? I don't know, what do you call it here? Prayer time, quiet time, study your Bible. You're going to have to study your Bible and pray. Hmm. Everybody say amen. I mean, well, I remember when I first learned this. I, 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 I became a Christian in an assembly of God church. and I mean, I'm, I mean, two weeks prior to this, I'm an atheist. Now I'm going to Sunday night service, and what, what they did on Sunday night service, at least in Milwaukee, is they all went up and cried. I remember looking at this thinking, okay, I could do that. I did it. I cried. I went up to, I, you know, it's like, well, it's not that hard. But that's kind of what they were doing. You know, they, they had to cry. Well, once you're up there, though, you're going to encounter Sister Smith. Sister Smith was 88, and this was, this was her. This is what she would do. She'd find me every Sunday night. And she would put her hand on me and she'd say this, Are you reading your Bible? I'd say, Yes. I lied. I lied to Sister Smith. I wasn't reading my Bible. I wasn't praying. And, uh, but, but now I had the fear of Sister Smith in my life you know, on Sunday night. So Now here's, here's what I'm getting after. That's not a great motivation to have a quiet time. You know, somehow what God wants to do is so stir our soul that we literally... But, but, but if he doesn't, if that stirring of the soul doesn't happen, listen, go before him and say, God, stir my soul. I understand this is it. You're it. You're the one. Do something. And he will. He will. Now, stay with it. Might take a few days. Might take a few weeks. But stay with it. Here's the thing. You're created in the image and likeness of God. And when that spirit and that word get inside of you, it's going to do something to you. It's, you're going to be recreated in that image of God. And that grace will begin to infiltrate your life and change you. How many you know that God is just so interested in changing you? He loves you just as you are, and he's so intent on changing you. Isn't that right? Yeah. He's not, there's no condemnation but he's going someplace. Our destiny, says in Romans 8, 29, is to be conformed to the image of the Son he loves. That's our destiny. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son he loves. Which means this. The work of the Spirit and the Word in your life is to reshape you like Jesus. Let's make us... Is there anyone more attractive than Jesus? I mean... Doesn't your heart resonate when you read, when you read about him and, and you see him and you hear him? This is the most attractive person in the universe. God wants to make you like him. And how you think, how you relate to people, how you relate to children, how you relate to women, how you relate to men. Oh, it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. That's the work of the Spirit in your life. But when you get before him with some regularity, when you learn how to pray, do you know how to pray? I think prayer is one of the hardest things in the world to learn. But you have to do it. Now, it's wonderful, but it, it takes time. It's, it's so spiritual, isn't it? I remember my first attempts at prayer with Sister Smith in my head. I'd get up early in the morning, and I'd go out. And I'd, I mean, the first that first week, I think I fell asleep within the first five minutes. Because I'd get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. and But my prayers were something like this. Oh, God, I just, just is a great prayer word, isn't it? I just, what's that mean? <laughs> 
It means I don't know the next word is usually what it means. I just thank you. I pray. I mean, I didn't know what to say. I love you. I didn't really feel a lot of love at that point. I had to learn. And one of the best ways you can learn to pray, by the way, is pray through the Psalms. Or try this. Try praying through the Lord's Prayer. The disciples come and say, well, Jesus, how should we pray? He said, like this. Go ahead. Really. Pray. I mean, you don't have to just say the words and rattle it off. You can, I mean, it's like 23 seconds. No. Think about what he wants you to think about and pray about. Pray about those things. Go ahead. Every day, go ahead. Pray the Lord's Prayer. That's what he taught us how to pray. If you do, by his grace, he'll actually join himself to you and actually connect. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Think about the Psalms. And here's what I do. When I pray, I'm no good at prayer on my own. I have to write. But I don't write. If you saw my prayer book, it's full of initials and cryptic things because once I write something down, I'm connecting to it. And God actually, that's how I learn to pray. I don't care how you learn to pray. But you have to learn to pray. You have to learn how to, what does it mean to be in a worship service? How do I fit into a worship service? How do I study the Bible? This is, this is, this is what it takes to get to the power of one. You'll have to become familiar with his word, with his spirit, with prayer, with study, with the people. You have to, you know, it's like this, part of the disciplines of being a disciple. You have to learn these things. And, and, and someone else can't do it for you. So you're going to have to set aside time. When you set aside time, you're worshiping. Do you understand? That's worship. To say, one, one more thought about prayer. I was so bad at prayer, I just said, I have got to spend in my head at least 30 minutes in prayer. So when I sat down to prayer, I would write down 11.45. I'd write it down. And I would not get up until 12.15. Even if the whole 30 minutes was spent with my mind wandering all over the place, which it often did. I had to learn to sit quietly for 30 minutes until my brain stopped working that way and started, and God helped me. But part of it was just simply setting aside time. Are, are you bad at prayer? You can get good. But you're going to have to deal with you. How do you work? How do you actually do this? And, and you're going to have to humble yourself. If you stink at it, God will help you. But say, God, I stink at this. He'll say, I know you do. He knows. But he's always going to say this. I'll help you. The name of the third person of the Trinity is the helper. This is great news. Because he's going to help at every level. Okay. This is crucial, though. My unity with Jesus is absolutely crucial. I've got to know that I belong to him and that he can use me any way he wants to use me. That's got to be clear in my own head. But what about with your spouse? So... With my spouse, then, the issue for... I mean, our first two years were not so spectacular in our marriage. Um, we, were, we didn't do that well. Uh, I couldn't believe how selfish she was. No, really. <laughs> the 
You're thinking, oh, what would it be like to be married to him? <laughs> you don't want to know. But I did. I prayed to God. Something like this. This, this was a well-formed prayer. Dear God, I pray for Sue. I pray that you would set her free from her selfishness in the name of Jesus. Amen. And then, and, you know, it doesn't happen right away. You have to wait, you know. I mean, I, was, I remember one time I finally heard the first teaching I heard, actually the second teaching I heard on marriage, was this guy was preaching about, from Ephesians 5, he says, husbands, he said, ought to love their wives as their own bodies. No man ever hated his own body, but nourishes and cherishes it, so husbands ought to love his wife. He who loves his wife loves himself. What? I remember when I heard that. It was, it was not so different than that, the first gospel message I heard. My heart was split in two. I mean, I really went through that. I said, I'm so me. I mean, this startling revelation. I'm selfish. It's not her. Well, she might have her own problems, but God was saying, ah, forget about her. I'm talking to you. You know, he's always talking to you. We, we pray that other people will change, the situation will change, and God said, eh, I want to change you. And so he began to work in my heart. So I began to ask for the next months, I ask this question every day. God, what does it mean for me to nourish and cherish my wife? And I mean, I went into the Greek. It's an amazing Greek word to cherish. Ektrepo. It means to go into the middle and draw out from the middle the best things. I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm terrible at that. Here's what God said to me. In the middle of that meeting, I, I felt nothing but despair when I heard that. And then God said to me very plainly, I'll help you. Do you know what? Those are the sweetest words I hear. I will help you. There's nothing in your life, nothing that you face, that God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, will not help you. He's your father. He's, he's the one that deeply cares. But he, and he knows our weaknesses. He knows that, as, as the psalmist says, that we're, we're, we're like dust. Our frame is so weak. And God says, I'll help you. And here's the biggest help he does. He puts his spirit inside of you. And so I began to do it. I'll never forget the joy of, of actually seeing even a limited kind of union with Sue take place. It was beyond physical. It was emotional, psychological. I remember thinking, this glorious. It's glory. This oneness, this glory. And then we could do the mission because we weren't so tied up with each other. We learned how in our differences to be one. Listen, this is how you avoid adultery. You, you become so linked in understanding your spouse that the, that the joy and the goodness of that unity and that oneness fills you. But listen, you have to pay attention to that. We live in an adulterous culture. Have you noticed? We live in a culture that disregards God at almost every level. So if you don't pay attention and take care of your own garden, it will be invaded. 
Thoughts are coming constantly. I mean, messages are coming. Just turn on the TV for 20 seconds. It's incredible, right? I mean, you have to have your guard up. You have to understand what, 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 the, what the matters are all the time is that God is still interested in filling creation with his image, but it's going to take to be fruitful and multiply. And that fruitfulness comes out of the union. Okay. Listen, Bethel Christian Fellowship. Take care of your marriages. Take care of them. Don't act as if they're just going to go on past steam. Provide. Provide the fuel for, for an increased growth. Continue to let God change you. Continue to ask God to show you the goodness of what he's doing in your own marriage. Don't spend all your energy. Don't drift off into places where you ought not to be. Because you will be tempted. For sure you'll be tempted. I just heard that. It was discouraging to hear this. That most teenage boys see 50 pornographic clips every week. What's happening in the soul of that boy? What's happening? Absolute destruction. Absolute diminishment of God and his and the image of God. Scalding of the soul. you're wrapped up in, I have no condemnation for you if you're, you're having trouble with pornography. I don't. I have no condemnation. But you must get free. You must. You must get free from that. It will eat you alive. It will eat you alive. And it's so accessible, isn't it? Boop. So accessible. So, get out. Flee, flee that city and don't look back like Lot's wife. Get out. Let's talk about Bethel just for a minute. If you're here at Bethel, be here. Do not sit on the periphery of this congregation. Because your life doesn't belong to you. You know what God says to you? Very frankly, I'm going to be absolutely straightforward with you. If you're here, and you believe that God has called you here, you need to be here. What does it mean to be here? It means that you give into what's happening here. It means that you love. It means that you love people that you would not ordinarily love. It means that you learn how to care for people. It means that you, you, you engage the mission of this church because this is how Jesus is going to do it. It's going to be the unity and the love of what happens here that's going to promote and push the vision forward. That, that it all belongs to him, doesn't it? It all belongs to Jesus. But you're not here. You're not here. You cannot be a consumer here. Really. We say, well, I'm still checking it out. 
for three years you're checking it out? Come on. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I'm looking at This is great to preach like this. I don't even know what's going on with any of you. But do, don't do that. How does that honor the one who, 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 who hung naked on a cross in humiliation so that you could actually have a, a relationship with him? How does that kind of posture honor him? It doesn't. It's dishonoring to him. The only real honor is when we surrender and we, and we cooperate with this mission. You know, so many times in the Old Testament what Jesus what God would say to his people, he'd send prophets because he would call them adulterers. He'd, he'd, he'd use the term. You, you say you know me, but you're, but you're acting like adulterers. You go after all these other idols, and I'm something like 14th on the list of your priorities. Where is Jesus on the list? Where is this church and this mission on the list for you? Listen, if he has brought you here, be here. Ask Jesus how you can serve this people. How, how can you serve them? How can you promote what he was after in the first place, which is to say, I want you, this is his, this is his mission for Bethel, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I want you to do that. This is still what he's doing through your marriage, through your church. But you have to engage it. As, like you have to engage your marriage. You have to engage it and understand that you are a servant of God and, it, and you don't belong to yourself. I saw the mission St. Paul up there, and this is something that God has put on leaders in St. Paul, pastors in St. Paul. And you know, here's part of the reason this is happening. 17 years ago, I met your pastor and, in a prayer meeting. And he was frustrated because leaders weren't praying in St. Paul. And I said, well, I'll pray with you. Pretty much that's how it started. I'll pray with you. And so we started praying together on Tuesday. And so we have for 17 years. And God's added to it. And, and your pastor has led this. He's really good. Do you know that? He is really good. He's one of the best leaders I know. I know lots of leaders. He's one of the best leaders I know. He gets this. He gets what I've been talking to you about this morning. He understands the power of one. He gets it. He understands that if we don't come to one, we'll be diminished in our capacity to do anything. He gets it. I love being with him. I love watching him. I love watching him lead. I love, and, and, and I love serving him. I do. I serve him in this Mission St. Paul. He's leading it. He's, he's the guy. And, uh, and I, I just, I, I connect with him. And I said, what do you want me to do? I, I can't do all the things he wants me to do sometimes because he wants me to do too much sometimes. <laughs> I, but when we can, I love this. And you know what God's doing in St. Paul? He's actually putting churches together so that when we meet together, sometimes there's like 20 leaders, pastors. We like each other. There's no competition. Honestly, I, could, I can't believe it. I've been a pastor for 37 years. This, for the last three years, I, there's no competition. We are so for each other. We're in each other's churches and lives and ministries in a way that's incredible. 
You know what I feel when, I, when that happens? Come on, what do I feel? Glory. Oh, God, this is so good. I don't deserve it. He says, I know you don't, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. Listen, oneness and filling and multiplication, this is the intent of God for your marriage, in your own life, for this church and for this city. This this is what keeps us from adultery at every level, is the oneness and the glory and the mission that we experience together. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd help each one of us to surrender as individuals, sons and daughters of God. Maybe, maybe we've drifted from that core matter of worship. I don't know. I don't know where anybody's at here, God. You do. You know my own heart. Forgive me, Lord, for my own driftings where I think that somehow I can pull this off myself. I can't. Jesus, I need you. Lord, I pray for every marriage represented here. Oh, God. Uh, there may be places that but that perhaps they know, are experiencing trouble, difficulty, frustration. They've lost vision for their marriage. But, oh, God, breathe on every marriage here this morning. Lord, I pray for this congregation, Bethel Christian Fellowship, a house of prayer for all nations. I'm looking at this sign that says, sent to make disciples of all nations. God, use them. God, all those who are sitting out on the periphery, draw them in. Draw them to the center of this congregation so that, as your word says, we are members one of another. We belong to each other. Jesus, teach us that again. And then, Lord, we pray. We're going to do this Mission St. Paul thing on Tuesday. God, breathe on that again. God, we pray for Pastor Jim Olson. Thank you for this guy. I love this guy. Jesus, you love him more. But I thank you. I thank you that you have united my life with his. And I thank you for the incredible pastoral gift that he's and the leadership gift. Now, Lord, help him in his leadership of Mission St. Paul. God, help us all. Your creation mandate stands. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with your glory, with your image. God, help us toward that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wasn't this good? All right, here's how I'd like to encourage us to respond. Um, Dave's going to lead us into some more time of worship. Don't miss the opportunity. I don't know. He mentioned about hearts being cracked open. I just know how my heart gets. If I don't respond to it, it closes up. And I go on with my life. I, just a word of sense that I have to the Lord saying. I want to pray for people today. People that are struggling with things that came up today. I don't care what it is. Let's pray. Let's deal with this stuff. Let's go before God. I want to pray for marriages. Don't care. Don't be embarrassed. Come on up. Let's pray. And then thirdly, other areas of adultery, especially with the Lord. He's serious about it, but he's also very gracious about that. That's what the gospel is all about. That's what Jesus Christ came to do with it. So just things that came up for marriages, 
and for relationship with God. Father, I pray that you would bless people today, that you keep them today, that your face would shine upon them, Lord. That as we press into you, that as we leave this place, Lord, we would truly be representative of you in Jesus' name.